heartfelt sympathy goes out to the family of Sister Amy Summers. That name was almost a household word in our house. Dad and Mom and Brother Ace and Sister Amy were close for a number of years. I wasn't acquainted with too many of the family, but I do know what God is and what he's done. And whatever whatever might be, if it wasn't for those who labored faithfully, we wouldn't be here this morning. Hallelujah. While preparing for a message on another subject, I ran across a real old familiar scripture that always challenges me, and it seems like every time I walk into the book of Jeremiah and begin to read, it seems like it just stands up and waves at me and says, I need to talk to you a little bit. So this morning I'm going to call your attention to the 8th chapter of Jeremiah, beginning to the ninth verse. You've heard me quote this scripture and read it on numerous occasions. I feel like God has something he wants to talk to us about this morning. We're almost ready to enter into revival. And revival means a refreshing of God's people. And once we enter into revival and we get refreshed, then we go into evangelism. That's when we reach out. And when we uh, really don't need too much for ourselves, but we're reaching out for souls that are lost. I'm reading this scripture because that word seemed to ring out. I wonder sometimes if we realize the significance of that word lost. It's hard for a man to doctor a man that doesn't know he's sick. And it's hard to get somebody saved that don't know they're lost. Let's read it. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt, I am black, astonishment has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? You notice the numerous questions asked by God through the lips of Jeremiah. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And if there is, why then is not the herd of the daughter of my people recovered? Very good question, something that's pertinent to you and I this morning. I want to deal on the 20th verse where it says simply the harvest is past and the summer is ended and we are not saved. And some way challenge our hearts to realize that there comes a day every day in some individual's life when they're called out into eternity. For them the harvest is past and the summer is ended. What we do in our life determines where we will spend in eternity. But there is coming a time when God will wrap it all up when there'll be no time as we know it as far as humanity is concerned any longer. Age and day of grace and mercy will have extended itself and God closes the doors and there is no more chance for salvation. Now as far as you and I are concerned, we have salvation or the chance of salvation and 
All of our lives we've always heard that God is a merciful God and we depend on that mercy and I'm glad we do. But I wonder if we ever look past the time when God will be a merciful God no longer and his countenance will change and he'll be a God of anger and a God of judgment. I somehow try to reminisce in my own mind concerning a loss. When you lose something, it's, it's quite a traumatic experience. I think perhaps the most nerve-shattering word in the English language is lost. When you begin to think about it, about during the wars when the mothers and fathers and the wives and loved ones received telegrams from uh, the Department of the United States Army or Navy or whatever and simply says, missing in action. And I don't know if you can imagine the agony that moves in a soul when they begin to finally form that word on their lips and realize the reality of it that they're lost. They're lost, they're gone. Missing in action. I've looked over a lot of instances in my life and tried to pick out some of the most traumatic so we could shorten our sermon this morning. I looked over a time when my uncle's, Albert's little grandchild, had wandered off. Somebody was supposed to be watching her, but they wasn't. And come time for them to find her, they couldn't find her. He related this to me in his grief. He said at first when they said she's lost, it just kind of struck a fear in my heart, but it, it didn't reach way down inside of me because I thought there's always a chance that she'll be found somewhere. She couldn't have gotten far. And he said as we searched, the longer it went, the more fear and the more agony that came in my soul. So I began to realize for the first time, though he said I'd preached the gospel for many years and talked concerning souls that were lost, I began to come face to face with the reality of that word and what it actually meant. A separation, looking for something and it's not there, you can't find it. And he said, then fear struck my heart and I began to realize I had a God to pray to. He said, we searched for quite some time. And finally, we noticed some ducks down on a little pond a few yards or uh, I suppose probably a half a quarter from the house. He said, we realized the little girl is just a toddler was fascinated by ducks. So we thought, surely she's wandered down that direction and we'll find her there. And he said, cheer came in my heart. And then he said, we walked down to the pond and looked out on it and we saw the duck tracks going into the pond saw the tracks of the little girl as she followed the ducks on into the water. And he said, finally the full realization of what lost meant finally dawned upon me. That this little girl had drowned. Her body was floating in the water. And he said, I realized, and guilt tried to take a hold of me, I realized that really the traumatic experience that individuals went through when somebody was lost. I think perhaps the worst experience, though that's sad, but the little girl, of course, was not at the age of accountability, and God will take care of those. But I think probably the worst experience I ever had in my life, and especially even in my ministry, was a friend of mine, father and mother, 
His name was John Ellison. Came to church at Dad's church in New Haven every Sunday morning or every Sunday night. Whenever the church doors was open, John was there. But when you went to talk to John about God, his words were very simply, and you could see in his eyes, I don't believe in God. He came because he wanted to bring his parents. He came because there wasn't too much else to do. But I'd always thought, well, there is no real atheist in the land. But John really proved to be one. Talk to him, revival would come, nothing would stir him. Old-fashioned revivals, you know, they used to have them when people would raise from the back seat and tears streamed down their eyes and they'd run to an altar and saying, God save me. John set through them. We went one time for 12 or 13 weeks with a revival and people was moving into the presence of God, receiving the power of God in their life. Nothing ever faced John. He came in and he left the same way. Every time you talk to him, it'd say, I don't believe in a God. I don't believe there is a God. You'd ask him why. He said, well, look at the world. Look at the chaotic condition it's in. Look at the sorrow. Look at the misery. If there's a God, he wouldn't allow that. Regardless of how you approached him, he said, I don't believe in God. Finally came the fateful time when the house they were living in in the country caught on fire. John was able to get his dad out, but the house fell on him just as he got in the door. Burned him badly. Went to see him in the hospital. Was standing there when dad was talking to him. The doctors, he was burned over 90% of his body, and the doctors said there's no chance for him to live. And I heard dad say, John, can I pray with you? Can I just, while you've got breath in your body and a right mind, can I get your soul in a condition to meet God? John, you're lost. John said then, knowing he was going to die, I don't believe in God. And he went out into eternity with those words on his lips, I don't believe in God. I believe the most tragic sight I ever saw was to watch that mom and dad who were faithful Christians stand at the great side of their son and sob, my God, he's lost. He's lost, he's lost. Went out into eternity without God and without hope. And sometimes I wake up at night with the screaming of those parents in my ear and wonder what a sad state to leave individuals in as they look upon somebody that's passed away and say they're lost. And what a wonderful inheritance it is to look upon somebody that's lived their life faithfully for God and look upon them and realize they stayed faithful to the end and be able to say they're saved. Thank God they're saved. They've gone on to meet their master. They've gone on to meet their maker and their works follow them. But salvation is theirs. I can imagine the sick feeling of Adam and Eve as they finally woke up to the realization that they had sinned against God and they was lost. Tried to cover themselves. And God would have nothing to do with that. He drove them from the garden. Set cherubims with flaming swords east of the garden of Eden. And said you can't come out anymore. I wondered sometimes as they went on into this world, they came from a garden where everything was there, and then they were set into the thorny patches of the world. I wondered sometimes if they looked back and wondered if there was some way I could get back into the garden, but I'm lost. If there was just some way, somehow, that I could get in the garden, but the flaming sword was there. Now, according to Ezekiel and Revelations, those same swords stand by the throne of God. We'll allow no sin there. We'll allow no transgressions there whatsoever. 
the plan of salvation is just the same. I wondered about uh, Ezekiel as he looked at the boneyards of Israel, as he heard him say, our hope, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost, we're lost. In other words, a once fascinating nation had fell into degradation and ruin and they were lost. I read and walked through the lamentations of Jeremiah as he looked over a once prosperous nation, saw it fell, and see the judgment of God upon him. I wondered as I stood with Cain when he said, my punishment is more than I can bear. It brought to me the full significance of what it means to be lost. I think perhaps we need to grasp that challenge this morning. I don't know that there's anyone here this morning that would say I'm lost. Perhaps all of us have salvation from God. But we're in, in the revival. There's individuals in our town that is lost. That I would imagine should they face an eternal God in the next few seconds, they would have to say they're lost. I'm bringing this forth to us to try to establish within our heart that that word means a lot. That means separation, final, no more hope whatsoever. God's mercy not extended anymore, laying cold in death and knowing hell is their doom. And perhaps we would face an angry God with a finger pointed in our face that said, had you cared enough and realized enough what the word meant, perhaps your attitude would have changed. Perhaps you would have prayed more fervently. Perhaps you, you would have witnessed uh, better. Perhaps you would have sought to find somebody that needed the Spirit of God in their life. Perhaps you would encourage somebody had become disappointed, disillusioned, and sat by the wayside and fell. And if we could some way grasp the significance that there is such a word, that it means eternal damnation, and that it's happened to thousands and thousands of people, and it's going to happen to thousands and thousands more. And you and I, who have felt the precious flow from Calvary and inheritance of the Spirit of God, stand saved. But outside there are individuals that are lost. Some way let us grasp the significance that when you're lost, you're lost. Now this would be sad if we were to leave this one word as the end of the vocabulary. But there is another word, a word that counteracts this word with all of its nerve-shattering effects, and that word is salvation. Salvation that is offered free. Salvation that's been worked out. Salvation that caused the death of awful crucifixion of our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it was through him that he offered us the salvation that exists in our soul. That word salvation condescends and stoops down to man and counteracts that word lost until it loses the fearful significance that it has or had before we knew salvation was really ours. I'd been a Christian, or I'd been raised in a Christian home all my life. I never fully realized the difference between lost and saved until I met my master, until I felt the cleansing flow from Calvary, until he set my feet on the solid rock, which was Christ Jesus, until he showed me what it was like to be free from the shackles of sin and despair. And then I looked back and saw the awfulness of the position that I was in. And some way I made up my mind then, God, I may not make too much of a mark in this world. I may not stamp my name, name in the memory of too many people's hearts. 
that matters very little as long as I can stamp the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth upon the hearts of mankind and let them realize that this is where salvation comes from. It doesn't come from man. And it would behoove us to follow the path of our Savior and not the footsteps of a man, regardless of how intellectual he is or wise he might be. Jesus is your Savior. Beside him, there is no Savior. He manifested that and cried it aloud himself. And he came one fateful day, I'm sure, to almost every one of us this year. And he said, won't you just trade your shackles? of sin and defeat and despair, and won't you just trade it for salvation? Have you ever wondered about that word salvation? Doesn't take up much room. There's not very many letters in it. And when we begin to realize all the, all the meaning that is in the word salvation, for in salvation is deliverance. And Luke 4.18 says Jesus came explicitly to preach deliverance to the captives that were bound. I was bound one time, bound in my hands and my feet, in my mind and my complete soul. And Jesus came and preached liberty me and set me free, thank God, from the degradation of sin and despair. And he's still in that business. He is still saving and setting us loose from the bondage that the powers of hell put us in. But before we can be freed from bondage, we have to realize we're there. I wonder sometimes what we would think of a man if he was drowning. And we threw him a rope, had all the capabilities of catching that rope, but he was floundering, gulping for air, knew he was going to drown, but he wouldn't take the rope. You imagine how foolish we must think he would be? And then a sick man, doomed to die, and you offer him help. Of him something that bring him help, and he refuses it. He won't take it. What about a doomed man that's doomed to death, and you offer him life, and instead he goes to the electric chair, and there he dies? Or better yet, what about a man that has been poisoned, and you offer him an antidote, and he refuses to take the antidote? All of this looks foolish to our human mind. That friend, far more foolish, is the Savior of the world that stands and offers to set us free had we refused to be free. Far more foolish is the individual that God offers safety to. Proverbs said there's safety in the Lord and that's inclusive in salvation and we refuse to be safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In that inclusive word of salvation is preservation. Proverbs says he preserveth the way of the saints. Friend, and there is a preserving force in the midst of this world. The world is rotting and it's decaying. But there's preservation of the Lord Jesus Christ for the heart of a Christian believer. And Jesus is offering us this. And he's offering us healing. The words scream out by his spirit, ye were healed. And that healing is also included in salvation. And in that word salvation is soundness. Soundness of wisdom. Soundness of heart, soundness of doctrine, soundness of mind, soundness of words. It's God's great inclusive word that condescends and counteracts the word lost. As it says, salvation is free for whosoever will let him come. And that's the gentleness of Jesus. Salvation gathers all the redemptive acts of God into one being such as justification. He justifies you. He, he makes you where you stand just in the front uh, in, in before an angry God that would slay you 
that the righteousness of Jesus overshadows you. And because he's just, you're just. You put on salvation. And in it also is redemption. He redeemed you from the Adamic nature and the sin thereof. And then there's grace. Mercy forgives us, but grace restores us, makes us sons and daughters of Almighty God. Have we lost in Adam? Has regained through the Lord Jesus Christ? That's grace. Mercy came down and forgive us. That grace places us right back where we were. Hallelujah. And then there's propitiation. That makes us more favorable in the eyes of God. Imputation, where we can lay the blame on the Lord Jesus Christ because we dare not take it for ourselves. That the blame was placed upon Him as the sin of all humanity had ever lived before, had is living now, had ever will live, was placed upon His frail shoulders 2,000 years ago. And He bore the blood of sin and destruction and emerged triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. That's our Master who offers us salvation and says it's free. You don't have to be lost. And I'm thinking some way if we could realize what it really means perhaps we would be more excited about reaching the heart of some individual and it is forgiveness Jesus looks and says I forgive you and it is sanctification or separation and finally comes glorification where he glorifies us where the glory he once had and makes us like we ought to be but Jesus came, his words, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's when that word loses its effectiveness, is when we contrast it with salvation. The enemy only can say you're lost and can offer you nothing. But Jesus comes and sets this word salvation right down before this word lost and it loses its effectiveness. A heart that was one time miserable and sad and had no hope. Every once in a while looks at this word salvation and hope arises in his heart because he knows Jesus has furnished that to them. Let's look back again over the aforementioned individuals as Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. Imagine his despair out of his home, out away from God because he angered God. And finally... God came seeking him. said, where are you, Adam? You see, just because sin separates us, there's no sign God keeps, doesn't keep seeking us. said, where art thou, Adam? And Adam said, in essence, I'm lost. I'm lost. I've already failed you. I'm lost. But God clothed him with coats of skin, typical of salvation, that is actually ours, yours and mine today. And can you imagine the feeling of Israel as they said, our hope is lost and our bones are dried up. And God came, came to Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? In other words, are they lost without hope? Is there not a chance for these bones to live again? A great nation, a great kingdom, one time a great army. Lie there with bones bleaching in the sun. No sinews or no flesh whatsoever lost. As far as the human eye was concerned. As far as the intellectual mind could grasp. It says they're lost. And God comes and looks at Ezekiel. And says look at them Ezekiel. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's answer is what ours ought to be. Lord you know. 
If I was going to answer in my own feeble way, I would say there's no way those bones could ever live again. I would say there's no way that they could ever have life in them again. And the Lord said again in Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Lord, thou knowest. And then he said some words that need to be taken into account in our heart. He said, Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones. In other words, preach them something. I thought if you preach to them and they'll listen, I can give them life. And there needs to be a preaching of the message of salvation to individuals today. We've got a social gospel, an intellectual gospel, and we need old-fashioned, genuine, Holy Ghost ministry of the Word of God. And we'll move souls more than they've ever been moved before. And when they look out into this world, and God says to me, host folk, and those bones live, if I was going to look at those that are burnt out on dope, and those that are walking on skid row, and those that are filled with alcohol, and the house of the prostitution, I'd have to say, no, there's no way. I'm sure when somebody looked at me, and I've had them to say this, they'd walk away from me in the church when I'd come. My soul was reaching out. I was a preacher's boy gone bad. And they'd look at me and said, he's no count. He's defamed his father's name. He'll never mount the hill of beans. And they never bothered talking to me. I'm sure God was saying, you think he can live? And they were saying, no. That what I needed was somebody that preached to me the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and let it lodge in my heart. And these bones did live. This boy did become alive. He did become saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there needs to be a proclaiming of God's word. Can these bones live as he can? Lord, thou knowest, preach to them. And when he preached to them, they become a great shaking in the land. And bone begin to come to bone. Again, to find its place. How does it do this? I don't know. That this is symbolic of the coming together of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to be scattered. One place here, one portion someplace else. And you wonder, how in God's name is it ever going to come together? And friend, I'm not a doctor. I wouldn't know where one bone belonged. And I've got a great physician that knows where every portion of the anatomy belongs. And he knows about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these bones begin to find the place where they one time were. And then there were sinews and flesh begin to cover them. And then there was skin came upon them and there was still no breath they were all together that there wasn't any breath which is mindful and we ought to be mindful that this is the way how the majority of the churches of the world today are filled with people that's covered with skin and bones have come together that they deny the higher power of the Lord Jesus Christ there needs to be the sound of a rushing mighty wind and it needs to fill the house wherein we're sitting and let there be a breath breathe upon these dead bodies and make them become alive through the Lord Jesus Christ and only God's breath and God's spirit can do it we're living in a day and hour when people need to be preached to. When we've soft-soaped it, we've nandy-pandied around, we've backcrashed, and we've told everybody this all right, and it didn't matter what God said about them. There needs to be an old-fashioned gospel where the axe is laid at the root of the tree and the chips fall where they may. There needs to be some preaching to the bones that are bleaching in the sun and that at one time was alive and they are 
now dead. And then he said, prophesy to the wind, Ezekiel, tell that wind to come. And he began to do that wind, symbolic of breath. And it came in, and it filled that body, and it rose on its feet, the Bible says, an exceeding great army of the Lord Jesus Christ, fashioned out of bones that was bleaching in the sun, that was lost. That salvation came, condescended, stooped down, reached them, and replaced them, and made them a mightier army than they imagined they ever could be. But in spite of all of this, there was, there is, and there will be those like Judas. There will be in the final analysis, according to the scriptures, those in Revelation 6:16. When it says rocks and mountains follow us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It's too late. Salvation has been withdrawn. They mocked, they ridiculed, they refused. They know they can't stand and look an angry God in the face. They said, hide us from his face. In other words, the awfulness of that word lost began to dawn upon their intellectual mind. They said, we're lost, eternally lost, without God and without hope. And we're living in a town of 17,200. I would shudder to think how many of them are lost. Neighbors you live by, people you work with, Restaurants that you go into, never leaving a witness, never providing a way of escape, never setting this word salvation right alongside the word lost so that it does away with lost. Friend, we're moving in to something that I feel like if we're mindful of what God wants to do and put ourselves out a little bit, we're going to reach lost. But let me tell you what's going to happen. The devil's not going to set it to sideline and cry. You're not going to see tears in the house of God or from off your knees. Perhaps sickness where you don't feel good, and this will happen to you. But it is important. I'll say again, it is important, vastly important, that everybody that claims this church as their church be here every single night and don't let any power of the enemy keep you from being here you want revival you want to see souls saved it's the only way it's going to happen and I'm going to say again the devil's going to sit right on your doorstep he's going to make you feel just as bad as he can he does a pretty good job of it you're going to wake up with a headache you'll probably get it just a few minutes before church now that's not just coincidence. You need to look at that because there's some sinister force that's causing this. We have the power to rebuke it and say I'm going anyway because I care. It's up to us to invite. It's up to us to pray. Now this morning before we close, I'd like for us to bow our head just a few moments and ask ourselves the question, are we saved? Are we really saved? You see, eternity is just that far away. 
And it doesn't care if you're young or old. And just because mom and dad has lived a good life and raised you right, you've come to the age of accountability, you'll answer to God. Now I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask everybody that will for a prayer of dismissal just to come around the altar. We're going to be dismissed, but we're going to pray for those that are lost. Those that are outside the ark of safety. Those that need somebody to intercede for them. Everybody's welcome to come. Just come right on up. Feeling home, make yourself at home. Realize that Jesus is our Savior. He wants to touch us this morning. He wants to touch our lives. And he wants to touch our hearts. Let him do it. Hallelujah. God bless you for coming. Hallelujah.